Hi, welcome to the Bella Podcast. Today we're on with Annie Barrett. Annie is a bilingual educator, certified integrative health and well-being coach, yoga health coach, Ayurvedic wellness practitioner, and registered and experienced yoga teacher and trainer. Today we will be discussing Dharma and aging gracefully. So without further ado, here is Annie Barrett. All right, Annie, how are you today? I'm great, Chris. Thanks so much for inviting me on your podcast. Wonderful. Thank you so very much for being a part of this, for taking the time out of your busy schedule, for sharing your passion and everything that is that you, that is Annie. Thank you so much. Now, I want to touch base with you. Our topic today is going to be Dharma, health and wealth and well-being. What I'd like for you to start us off with is a little bit briefly about you. All right. Thanks for asking. So um, I am an educator, a wellness, Ayurvedic wellness professional, a yoga teacher, and a health and well-being coach. And I live in Olympia, Washington. And uh, I do work, I guess I wear a variety of hats, right? I work with individuals one-on-one on on their wellness and specifically diving into Ayurvedic wellness with individuals. I also do wellness with groups and with workplaces. And I've been offering yoga classes and teacher training for a number of years. Prior to that, I was in public education and I really do see myself first and foremost as an educator because I think that that training made it possible for me to branch out and do the other kind of work that I do, but um, I love all these different hats and uh, I love particularly at this time in my life, I'm gonna be 50 in January. I particularly like to work with women in the age range of like 40 to 60 that are moving into that time when they have a lot of wisdom and a lot of impact and I like to help them be as healthy as possible so that they can really offer their gifts to the world. Um, And I also love working with people who work in social services because I spent so many years in education. I love helping those people be as healthy as they can be so that they can offer their genius and their work out into the world. Because ultimately, uh, those of us who work in health and wellness, it's the, the healthier we can make the humans on the planet, the better off we're all going to be because this world needs a lot of work and a lot of love. That is so absolutely very true. Now, I like what you said, that we all need to become healthier individuals. That's amazing. That really is one of the premises premises behind Ayurveda, is that through small incremental changes, we can master our lives, master how healthy we are, and fine-tune our connection with the, the nature of us and humans and the earth and spirit and everything. I think it's very, very beautiful. One of the things that start to move into is the concept of Dharma. Can you briefly explain what is the concept of Dharma? Then we'll talk about kind of why it's important and how it relates to ourselves and our lives. So let's start firstly, what is Dharma? Yeah, that's a great question. So Dharma is one of, in the yoga tradition, what we might, what we call in the Vedic tradition too, the four aims of life. And so maybe I'll talk about Dharma within the four aims and we can bring, bring it out. So the four aims of life are this idea that every human being needs to balance these four different areas in order to be really successful as a human being and um, really feel whole as a, as a human being. And, and they are dharma, which is really one's purpose. I think of it as both a calling, a duty, and a passion. So we'll get more into that. That's one. And then arda. Arda is the means for living like a joyful and meaningful life. And so it's both like being able to have the means, like the economic means to have food, shelter, and clothing, but it's also the means for well-being expanded out in terms of social well-being, in terms of one's health, Um, You know, so that's sort of expanded, but it's like we can't live a meaningful life if we don't have health, food, shelter, and clothing and health, and that's what Arta is. And then there's Kama. Kama is enjoyment, that 
you know, you probably heard the Dalai Lama says the reason, the meaning of life, or one of the big reasons for life is to be happy. I forget quite how he says has that, how he says that. But the meaning of life is to find happiness. Kama is this idea that life should be pleasurable, that the aesthetics, the enjoyment of life in terms of um, pleasure and relationships, even sensual pleasures, that should be an aim as well. And then the yoga tradition tells us that the fourth one, moksha, which is often thought of as liberation, I think of it as connection to the sacred, connection to what we might call spirit or the great mystery, that that then becomes really important. And so I think of dharma in terms of all of these four, they're all important, but dharma specifically is the idea of what is it that makes me come alive and what is it that I feel called to be doing in this lifetime. And I say it's both a duty and a calling because all of us have certain duties and often dharma is translated as duty. Like, you know, you're a dad, I'm a mom, we're students, we're teachers, we're community members, we're, you know, brothers or sisters, uh, you know, eventually we may become grandparents. Those are all really important roles that have duties in them. And, you know, I have certain duties in my household, right? You know, I got to like rake the leaves and do the dishes. So all of that's dharma. But then there's this other aspect of dharma, which is often called swadharma, which is kind of like one's unique calling. Like what is it that makes you unique? What is the thing that really makes you come alive that you absolutely have to do in this lifetime? It's almost like for, um, for the benefit of your soul. And, and so that's a unique aspect of dharma that it's almost like if you go through your life going through the motions, but you don't really find that thing that makes you come alive and, and do that, it's almost like the life, you, you've missed something. You've missed something big about being alive. So that's maybe um, the way I would talk about dharma. That's beautiful. So what you're saying is that dharma is not just our duty. It's not just our passion, but it's actually a mixture of both. And I find that uh, really intriguing. I appreciate your your take on that also. As we move through life, you know, Dharma is something that is going to stay the same. Is it something that's going to change over time or over situation? Can you um, maybe touch base a little bit on what are some of those different circumstances that uh, contribute to what dharma is at that specific time? Because at some points in times, we are children. And at some, as you said earlier, there, there are times where we're a brother or a sister or a member of a community. We may not be a member of that community for very long. We may actually move and be in a different community and have different jobs and have different things. What is what does that all mean in the concept of dharma? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think of dharma as being dynamic, which kind of speaks to what you're saying, that on one level, dur, which is the root of dharma, is the essence. So it's there's a certain essence of who you are and who I am. And, you know, I feel myself to be Annie. I felt like Annie ever since I was, you know, as young as I could remember. I continue to feel like Annie, and yet there are things that are also changing in my life. And there are things they're doing that are different from me. But the more I am, uh, the more I am connected to my inner compass, that is one aspect of me doing my dharma. Sometimes your dharma, well, and it, it has to do with like even moment by moment, it could change. But when you are really clear on the essence of who you are, it remains, you know, still your dharma. For example, I think of dharma as being on one level. Um, you know, you could say like, for some people, it might be, they've always known their whole life, they wanted to be a writer. And um, they might almost, it's almost like someone who just like, focuses on one thing. I've heard um, Elizabeth Gilbert call these people jackhammers, where they like, just go to town. I'm a writer, like she's a writer, right? She's always known she was a writer, right? And so that continues to be her dharma. And then other people, who she calls them hummingbirds, will flip from one place to another to another. But there's this beautiful thread that connects, almost like they're pollinating one flower and then pollinating another. And it makes sense, the different things that it's almost like they're weaving something together, but it's cohesive and it makes sense. So, you know, I mean, I know in your life, because you and I have talked, that you wear, you wear different hats, right? It's almost like they're slightly different dharmas, but they all fit together. 
And in my life, the same thing, because they're connected to the essence of who I am. And at any given time, the intersection of who you are, your gifts and talents, and what I would call the call of the times, what the world needs you to do, what your community needs you to do, what you're feeling called to do, that that's very much Dharma as well. So it is essence and purpose. And you may feel like for me, it's been yoga forever, ever since I found yoga, although it's had different expressions. For me, it's a teacher, but my role in teaching has had different expressions. It's been a mother for the last 19 years. My oldest is 19. It will continue to be a mother. I'll continue to have the Dharma as a mother for the rest of my life. And there are other things that I don't know what they'll be, but they will end up entering into my Dharma sphere. And I, don't, I can't foresee what those will be when I'm 60, 70, 80. But as long as they're connected to me and what makes me come alive, then they'll be my Dharma as well. That is so beautiful. That is such a wonderful depiction of what Dharma is and how it relates to every one of us because we all are in the same position. We all do, like you mentioned, have different hats. We are required to do different things at different times. And of course, as we move along our timeline through life, our Dharma changes. Our Dharma maybe remains the same. Maybe it is the thread moving from one part to the other, as you mentioned. So your calling, you've moved more towards working with people who are um, a little middle-aged or and that has become your dharma at this point in time what is it that has drawn you to work with people in this stage of life where is it that you feel where you fill the gap to the things that people need Right. That's a good question. So I'm sure some of it, you know, is autobiographical, right? You know, as I've moved through my forties and I get ready to enter to be become 50 in 2021, um, there's becomes this, you know, my, my way of how is it that I'm keeping myself healthy and on this trajectory to age gracefully. And I think more and more what I see, because I do, I've worked with women for a long time in the yoga world. It's not just exclusively women, but a lot of women show up. <laughs> I've worked with a lot of women for a lot of time. And we're living in a world that um, is very young, right? It's very fast paced. Uh, it's very, we're on, on the run. We are on our devices. We're flitting from here and there. It's very, in terms of, um, if we talked about it in Ayurveda language, it's very vata, moving around a lot and very Pitta, it's very much, you know, heated and people are heated and focused and moving. And um, what we find is that there is a cost, right, to this young way of living. There's a cost to our, to the planet and the people who, with whom I work, women, there's a cost for women because for women to make their way and to take their space and their leadership roles in community, which I think very much the evolution of the planet requires more of what women have to offer, which is more yin. Women sacrifice their yin, and not just women, but whole societies and cultures sacrifice yin when we are too young focused. And so um, if I can help a woman reclaim her yin and, and really connect and, and um, reclaim her self-care and get her body, her, her vessel, her temple of body, mind healthy, then she can then do her dharma in the world, right? Because the world as it is right now and every human being on it has something to contribute. But if we don't have health and well-being, it's very difficult to do our dharma in the world, right? Because we're too exhausted, we're too distracted, we're too busy. And I mean, this goes for not just women, it's for men too, but because I work with so many women, if I can help a woman in her 40s, 50s, and 60s feel really vibrant and juicy and uh, get more connected with to her yin, which is more really the kapha side that our world doesn't have. A, <laughs> we have too much of it in some places and not enough of it in other places, right? Um, if I can help a woman connect to that side of herself and be able to offer 
those gifts to the world, it begins to change uh, on, on the level of the individual. It changes on the level of the family. It changes on the level of community when a woman begins to reclaim her, herself. And, and she'll pull her partner into it, right? I mean, whoever that partner may be, and it, maybe we don't have to speak just in terms of a woman, but that sort of identity, that gender identity of, um, of femaleness, but she will, she'll pull others into it. And, uh, you know, her, the male partner will become better able to take care of himself if he's with a woman who's taking good care of herself. Wow. That was rich. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. So there's a couple things that, um, actually there's a lot that you mentioned that I wanted to speak on and then highlight, but before we even touch on those, um, you mentioned the, you know, Asian yin and yang. Can you delve into a little bit more about what that means and and how that portrays or, or how that's expressed? Right. Thank you. And I guess what I would say also is I'm not an expert in yin and yang. I'm more of an expert in <laughs> the concepts from the yoga philosophy, but I still think that they are valid here and they do relate in Ayurveda, they, they relate to Brahmana and Langana, Brahmana being, being the building and supportive nurturing side in Langana, which is more reducing and movement-oriented dynamic. And um, they also relate in the yoga tradition a little bit with the gunas, if you're familiar with those of Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas. Um, maybe I won't get fully into that. We can decide that later. But in any case, this idea of yin and yang um, that kind of duality, and if we look at the, you know, you can imagine the circle of yin and yang, and within the dark side, it almost looks like a fish, there's a little bit of white, and within the white side, there's a little bit of dark, that they're always, they have to go together. Balance is uh, male-female, light-dark, yin-yang, nurturing and dynamic. And um, when the world has moved too far in one direction, we feel this pull to come back. And so I think reclaiming the yin is really reclaiming our connection with Mother Earth, with the planet. It's reclaiming an idea of sustainability because we all know it's not sustainable to be going, going, going from the moment we get up in the morning and then falling into bed at night. We need to be able to take breaks and come back to ourselves in the day. And so I feel like that's the call of the yin. And that's something that women and men naturally possess, that nurturing side. Men, women and men have that yin side. But we have to reclaim that in order for to be whole, in order for our families to be whole, in order for our communities to be whole, in order for an individual to be whole. So um, that's how I see yin and yang working. And I think in a certain sense, it's kind of interesting how the pandemic has made us all stay home more. And we may feel like we're a little sick of it. We're, we're a little stir crazy. We have cabin fever, but we have had back to basic tasks of like, cooking our own food, right? I mean, people are cooking their food a lot more. And um, there's a lot of aspects of the pandemic that have challenged our health and well-being for sure. But in terms of this basic um, call to come back to the home and come back to the hearth and come back to our kitchens, like that's actually beautiful. I think a lot more people are cooking their own food for their families. And I would say that's one of the, the silver linings of the pandemic. Others as well. Absolutely. That's very, very fascinating. Now, I wanted to have you elaborate on that kind of as a loaded question, because um, you mentioned that that in order to achieve our dharma, we have to really take heart and take heed of our own health and our own our own vibrancy and all of that. And you're speaking of it in terms of someone who is, um, you know, a woman in her 40s, 50s, and 60s, but it, like you mentioned also too, it is something that relies heavily on everyone. And in order to experience our dharma, or in order to experience our full understanding and our full um, direction, we have to be able to become more balanced, become more resilient, become more in tune and harmonious with ourselves. And I think that's beautiful. And then the, 
concept of yin and yang is, is, is wonderful because it does, like you said, it's the black and white, it's the light and dark, it's the uh, movement and, and sedentary, it's the um, nurturing and, and building, it's the, all of those harmonious aspects of us and who we are. And I think a lot of times we are always chasing something to get somewhere and or to um, maybe when the time is right, when I'm making enough money, when I have this, when I have that, when I have all my ducks in a row, things are going to get better. Things are going to always are in flux. And I know right now more than ever. We're in a time, as you mentioned, that is causing us to move in directions where we never thought we had to, and also causing us to focus on things we never thought we needed to. But I think that's the beauty of the yin and yang, is that certain balancing measures will always come into play, whether we want them to or not. And I think as we move into the, this discussion, it's extremely important in the concept of dharma because in order, as you said, in order to attain our dharma, we have to be very healthy and ready to do our dharma. And so that's more internal than it is external. And so I think that's very, very beautiful. Can We can move on from this now and maybe start talking about how to um, age gracefully and intertwine that with dharma because I know a lot of us as we age we may be more in tune with what our dharma actually is versus when we were a child and we were kind of just gung-ho and ready to do any take on the world um but let's start there. Let's start there. Let's start about how we age gracefully. Can we start uh, maybe in intertwining that into the discussion? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so uh, as, as you and I both know, both of us being you know students and practitioners of Ayurveda, this beautiful word, Ayurveda, the science of life, really tells us a lot how to age gracefully because it's about aligning with nature's rhythms. And, and when we do that, when we respect nature's rhythms, then we do age more gracefully. And um, Ayurveda has this idea of um, sort of the three ways that you can fall out of ease and into dis-ease, right? You're probably familiar with these. But the first one being, they call it pragnia parada, which is this idea that what we're doing goes against nature right so the idea of like okay i know i can eat whatever i want whenever i want i can order pizza at midnight i can eat ice cream for breakfast i can um, stay out late or i can stay in front of my computer and not move for eight hours true i can do all of those things but some of those things might be against my prognia my little inner intelligence detector and if i keep doing those over time i am going to cause harm to my body and so this idea of that we're, you know, yoga and Ayurveda both teach that we have access to our, that our inner wisdom is our birthright, right? And so, but over time, begin to violate our inner wisdom, then it's not available to us. So I think paying attention to, for example, our bodily sensations and noticing when, hey, I've been at the computer too long, or actually, yeah, pizza at midnight, that worked for me when I was 21 doesn't really work for me now, you know? That's one aspect of aging gracefully is being able to actually learn from our yesterdays, so to speak, learn from what didn't work and know what does work as we move forward. Um, another one is living within the rhythms, the like rhythms of nature, right? As we talked about. So that's both the seasons, right? Rutucharya, like seasonal routine, and it's also dinacharya, daily routine. And um, this idea that in the 24 hours of the day, the sun comes up and the sun comes down, and there's a lot of opportunities to sync up with those natural rhythms. And so I often think about this daily routine, which Ayurveda has a beautiful way of talking about it, and yet each individual can tailor a daily routine 
to meet the age and stage of life that they're in. And also I think to really optimize and meet their dharma. But I think of it a lot of how is it that we can create a morning and evening routine that will bookend the day in a certain sense, it will be maybe a peaceful, maybe grounding, maybe energizing, depending on what we need, but we'll start and end the day because the middle of the day is going to be varied. Um, it might be busy. It might be hurried. Some days it might be tedious or challenging. If I can ground myself at the beginning with some self-care practices and habits at the beginning of the day, and if I can then ground myself with some self-care habits and practices at the end of the day, I'm going to do a lot better in the middle part of the day, staying true to my dharma and staying on course both for myself, my own well-being, and those around me. And so this idea of morning and evening routine really appeals to me. I think it's one of the big ways that we can age gracefully. And by morning routine, it could be individualized, but it's an opportunity to check in with yourself and connect to the vastness before the mundane things of the day start. So for me, it's meditation. It might be yoga. It might be pranayama. It could be taking a run outside. It could be different for different people, but something that allows them to connect with the bigger life force energy, prana, before they come in and do whatever it is, you know, making your kid lunch, homeschooling your kid, getting your work done. It's doing something in the morning that really allows you to connect to who you are. And then same thing at the end of the day, that you wind down and you don't keep working, but you actually heed the fatigue and the signs of your body that it's time to slow down, that you put the, the kind of busy work away and you open up to again to nature in the evening and that feeling of, ah, the day's winding down. There's kind of a return to the home and hearth if you've been out or a turn to the part of the home that is the hearth, the kitchen area. There's nourishment, there's connecting with your loved ones, connecting to yourself, maybe it's journaling. Again, it could be yoga, it could be some kind of, um, if you're a musician, you could be playing music. I don't know what it is. Eventually it's gonna be different for each person, but it's some way of bookending the day, morning and evening, with activities that really ground and nourish the individual and bring them back to themselves. So that's one of the aspects I think of aging gracefully because otherwise what our culture tells us, a young culture is get up in the morning and run like crazy and then collapse in bed at night. And so it's like all, it's all young, right? All day long. And then we collapse into our bed, but we may not sleep well and we don't notice how much accumulated stress we have um, that our body has has gradually you know accumulated throughout the day when we live like that and so unless we start the day with connecting and end the day with connection and release we can't live the middle part of the day which is many hours our productive hours well so that's one big part of uh, aging gracefully that i i really like to emphasize when i work with people that is so very true i know a lot of us, we think that our um, dharma is focused around work. You know, we, um, as you mentioned, you know, our society is, 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 it's an immediate gratification society. We are in a place right now where traditional walls were n- are not there anymore. Um, I'm speaking more so pre-pandemic. We've got some extra walls that have come up during pandemic, but our society traditionally in the past, not so recent past, has been in an immediate gratification stage. And we're able to maneuver easier than we've ever been able to maneuver. We have information at the tips of our fingers. We do not have to go to the library, for instance, look up in an encyclopedia you know, we can be on the internet, we can search for whatever we want to at any point in time we want to in the comfort of our home. Therefore, we can work whenever we want, however we want in our home or in the office. And society, for the most part, money makes the world go round. So as you make more money, as you work more, you make more money. As you accumulate more you need more money as you move into this cycle of of need and fulfillment and 
you sometimes lose track of your dharma. You lose track of what it is you're actually trying to do. Why are you working through this cycle instead of maybe going into your passion? I know a lot of people have the, have voiced that they're not living their life the way they want to, especially during this pandemic time, that life isn't really what they need it to be. This might be a start to move into that. And what you're speaking of is the daily routine, the dinacharya, the things that uh, we do. If we look at what we do in work and the constant revitalizing, reassessing, removing the processes, automating things, making things easier in life, um, constant perfecting process and, and, and working through what works and how can we better the business. And what I would venture to say is that as our business is our life, the business of our life. You know, and what you're speaking of is this daily routine, the things that we do. We spend enough time just to simply take two things, the morning and evening, and look at it. And let's get to that business and be healthy and work towards our inter-discovery. And I think that's amazing. It's wonderful that you mentioned that. Now... That's just a couple things, and I think those couple things can be extremely powerful because they can lead to certain benefits. So I think taking the time to check in with yourself in the morning before you, in a certain sense, you, you begin with your body, your mind, your heart before your email, before your to-do list, before, you know, whatever's on the kitchen, on the kitchen counter, that that gives you an opportunity to come back to yourself and check in. And when you're doing that checking in, there's an opportunity to be in touch with your body and your mind. And so that then when I actually go to have my breakfast, have my lunch, I'm more connected and I'm going to pay better attention to what goes into my mouth. And I'm going to be in a, actually a, in a more grounded space, more parasympathetic nervous system space where what I bring into my body can actually be digested and assimilated and um, become energy that, that I can use then to do my dharma. Because if we're constantly on autopilot, then after a while, like you said, we may be living our life and we all of a sudden wake up and go, this wasn't really what I thought I was going to be doing in life. We realize that we're not satisfied, that we've lost something along the way, that we've lost our connection with dharma. And sometimes it's wonderful, right? When your dharma and your arta work together, that what you love to do is also the thing that makes you money. But it isn't always the case that that happens. Sometimes we're doing something to make money and we have to, right? It's part of taking care of ourselves, taking care of our household. But there's something else that's a passion that we've neglected. And um, I think that when we start to do dinacharya, we're able to rekindle that passion. And perhaps over time, you're able to do the thing for money that you also love to do, or perhaps you're still doing that thing for money, but you are so clear that some part of your day in your week that you want to put towards, whether it's an artistic pursuit or whether it's a service project or whether it's some um, something else, right? That you, you actually reclaimed that there is something that makes you come alive that you are going to, it's non-negotiable that you must do. But we usually don't get to that point of recognizing and prioritizing that when we're living in a full-on yang, never coming back to our yin, never you know checking with ourselves. And so, I mean, I know really on some level, we haven't even talked about the things we always talk about with healthy body, which is like getting enough sleep and eating well, which are crucial and they're so important. But to me, um, those things actually come into being when people actually get connected to who they are. And when they recognize that doing their dharma well is gonna require a healthy body. And so then getting enough sleep becomes really important be so that you don't cut into the next wheel of energy of the next day, then nourishing the body well so that the health of the tissues is whatever kind of physical activity that we have to do and mental activity that we have to do can be done as well as possible. That starts to matter. 
Um, and when we have those times of the day that we check in with ourselves, we make that, it's almost like we renew that commitment to the preciousness of this vessel of a human body and the honoring and the care of it. That's super beautiful. And it's true. It's very, very true because a lot of times we we're not in tune or we're not quiet enough to hear that um, something needs to change or something doesn't need to change or something needs to move. And I think that's beautiful. One of the other things that you mentioned is that sometimes our dharma is not going to align with our the way we make money. And I... A lot of a lot of people may a bit of an issue with that because sometimes a lot of people really fight or run towards the things that they want to do or the things that are fun or the things that and um, tend to shirk the things that that they have to do. A lot of people do the things that they have to do and think that they never can do the things that they love to do. And I think that's that's an extremely important concept that is maybe needs a little bit more discussion. Is like what is it? that we can do um we're working on dinacharya right now but let's maybe talk about something that we can do to help bridge that gap that comes when we are say working a job just to make money um but again you said that that's part of your loving yourself that's a part of caring for yourself and taking care of yourself and i think that's beautiful can you speak a little bit more on that yeah, I mean, of course, it would be wonderful, right, if every single human being could do the thing that makes them come alive and that would also bring them enough, you know, uh, food, put enough food on their table. Um, and, and, uh, and, and we can all hope that maybe that could be the case. But we also kind of have to know, I think, that sometimes, you know, I know um, part of my, the duties in my life involve things that I'm very committed to, but they aren't actually the most fun things, right? I mean, there's some aspects of parenting, there's some aspects of keeping a household that are just simply that way. And yet, uh, I believe in, there's a, the, um, I think it's called the, the Big Leap, The Great Leap, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. He talks about uh, one zone of genius, right? And if we think of your dharma as your zone of genius, so there's different things that you could do. There's zone a zone of incompetence, which is frankly stuff I'm not very, and someone else should do it for me, right? <laughs> Maybe whether that's like, um, why should I get, why should I try to fix my computer myself when someone else who's much more, much more skilled in that area can fix my computer for me? And then there's zones of competence, right? Like, okay, I'm competent at cleaning the bathroom. Do I love cleaning the bathroom? No, I'm competent at it though, and I probably have to keep doing that unless I make enough money that someone else can clean the bathroom for me, right? And then there's zone of excellence. Zone of excellence is something that I'm good at and people see that I'm good at. And it's probably something that I can make money at if I need to make money at it because it's a, it could be a service or a skill that's needed, right? And I might get some satisfaction from that. And then there's this other level, the zone of genius which is where it's almost like you're scintillating because you love being in that zone so much. Sometimes it's not the thing that you get paid for. Maybe over time, eventually it will be that. So oftentimes people work in their zone of excellence and there's some satisfaction there. You're providing a service, you're doing something that's good for the planet or for your community or for your household. But in the book by Gay Hendricks, he argues that part of your week needs to be spent in your zone of genius too. And that's almost like where you drop into almost like what people call the flow state, where there's just enough challenge to keep you excited, but not so much that you that you throw it all aside and get frustrated. But it's it's a it's a like a there's a kind of a creative tension there that you want to be working at it. And so what I would argue is Dharma is somewhere in between zone of excellent and zone of genius. That there's certainly like the satisfaction of doing something that people need me to do, and that's awesome. And then there's the, my growing edge, which is more the zone of genius where I'm pushing myself, I'm listening to my, what's making me come alive, I'm following my inner compass and I'm trying something. And I can't guarantee that it's gonna work, right? If it's something new, whether it's a new business project or whether it's an artistic project, I, I can't guarantee that I'm going to, you know, um, reap benefits financially from it or in any other way, but 
I, something about my soul keeps pulling me there. And so I feel like Dharma somewhere in those two places, and that's where it is dynamic. Um, but that if we make time each week to be in that zone of genius, that's going to feed us. Because ultimately, according to the Bhagavad Gita, this idea of Dharma is you look to your Dharma, you figure out what it is, you do it full out. You do it full out because it makes you come alive. And at a certain point, you have to let go of the fruits. Like, I don't know if anyone's going to pay me for this work, but I got to do it because I got to do it. You know, some people create a work that they just have to do. And eventually it, it becomes, it's almost like something that you make an offering with. Like in the, the yoga tradition, we say, make every act an offering. That was a beautiful, a beautiful line from the Bhagavad Gita. That the, when you do your dharma, it's almost like you are offering a gift to the planet. And whether or not everyone recognizes it or not, there's a feeling of wholeness that you have when you're doing that. And so that aspect is a little bit separate from, oh my gosh, I got to make enough money to pay the rent, which you also got to do. So it's both, right? Arda and dharma, you've got to do both as a householder, right? You got to take care of the house and you got to make time for your creative pursuits. Got to take care of your health, your body while you're at it and the body of your family. Make some time for pleasure and make some time for connecting with the sacred. Those are the four aims. That's so beautiful. And it's so true. It's absolutely so true. The yin yang. Again, speaking of that, which is why I'm glad you mentioned that earlier. Now, um, so let's move a little bit more into. Um, more of the aging gracefully concept. Um, what are some of the things that you see that people, um, besides the morning and the evening, what are some, some of the trends that you see that, that, that um, we can be enlightened on or maybe um, warned on that we should probably start thinking about? I think the biggest part of it for people is uh, stress, our relationship to stress. So, I mean, in terms of like, whatever, in terms of a modern uh, epidemic, we could say, well, it's diet. And certainly in this, in this country, we could for sure say it's diet. And we know, I mean, I was looking at some statistics recently, 63% of the American diet is processed food and like 12% is like plant-based food. I mean, it's out of control. About 25% is animal protein. So if we could just shift to getting, and I know I'm sort of switching topics here, but if we could shift to getting people to actually eat healthier, that would make a tremendous difference. But the other one is helping people handle stress. And that's where those morning and evening routines, where you have that opportunity to check in with yourself, that's a mindfulness practice right there that then, become, be, can, be, that then can begin to be infused into the rest of your day. So that if we think of mindfulness as a muscle and my day with being able to get in touch with my breath, my body, my feelings and sensations, my emotions, and I do something healthy for myself, which could be different for different people, then that becomes something, a touchstone where I can keep moving because for most, and again, I work mostly with women, there's some time in their midlife and certainly in their weekday where they recognize they haven't had a chance to come back to themselves. And the toll that the stress has had in terms of going full on means that all of a sudden, somewhere in their 40s, hormonal imbalances or um, some health diagnosis, or there's some big shift in their relationship that they didn't see coming or they didn't want to see coming. And all of a sudden, they're left with a body that has been under tremendous stress for a lot of years, and they've forgotten to do the self-care along the way. And now, whether it's the adrenals being fried, whether it's their hormone balance being fried, whether it's their metabolism and their thyroid being off, they're all of a sudden in a health state that they didn't imagine being in. And it's going to take some work to get them back into the health state that they want to have. And so that's where I feel like the more we can help people manage stress, because stress isn't going to go away, but if we know what our triggers are, what gets us into the red zone, which is the stress response, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, and how to move back to the green responsive zone, which sometimes is just about pausing, softening, and breathing, 
at regular intervals during the day, stepping away from the computer and stepping outside and taking a five minute walk in nature before coming back to the desk. There's these small things that you can do in the middle of the day that invite the body to be in responsive mode and the mind to be in responsive mode. And then stress doesn't get the upper hand. We're remembering that yin aspect of ourselves and we're tending to it. And then at the end of the workday, we tend to it again. And then that, that time that's, you know, whether it's nine to five or whatever, the hours someone works, that doesn't become so young. It becomes something that there are pulses, pulses of work and pulses of uh, rest or stepping away or um, taking a break. And, and when we pulse in that way, we're gonna be a lot better off. That's the way to age gracefully. And then eventually, of course, maybe we discover that, oh, I'm at an age and stage in my life where I don't need to work full time. And then my dharma might shift and I move into being of service in the community, working part time, retiring and offering my skill set and talents elsewhere. Um, but we still staying connected to what makes us come alive, even as we move into older age becomes so important because there has to be that reason for waking up in the morning, whether we call it dharma in the yogic sense or Japanese, they call it ikigai, right? The reason for getting out of bed in the morning. That continues throughout a lifetime. How it's expressed and how much speed that it has, how much drive it has is different depending on, you know, the age that you're in. Um, and that's where respecting those life stages becomes an important part of how we age gracefully. I love that. That makes uh, a whole world of sense. And I think um, through our discussion today, it's... Um, become very apparent that uh, um, we need now more than ever to be in line with our Dharma, to be, to be working toward the things that are important. And I think that's incredibly rich. Now, let's change subject completely and maybe talk about some, well, not so completely, but let's talk about you. Let's talk about what your passions are. Yeah, well, I think I've been talking about a lot of them, right? Um, education, I continue to love the field of education and the idea that um, education gives people the means to, to pivot and move their life in directions that they want to. Uh, yoga, for sure. I mean, I've been a yoga practitioner since my early 20s, so I'm going on a lot of years of practicing yoga. And it's sort of the, the thing that I call it my saving grace. I think it's the thing that when I found it in um, my early years of college, when I was quite an anxious, you know, type A type person. And I discovered that there was something called Shavasana, this lying down at the end of a yoga practice and just completely letting go. And I was like, wow, I thought I was coming to yoga to like touch my toes. And there's this whole other connection with something bigger that you can experience. And I, I love that. Um, Ayurveda, I love, I love Ayurveda. But outside of those things we've talked about, um, I I love uh, I love cooking. <laughs> I love uh, to I love for my kitchen to be like the center of my house. I love playing with ingredients. We have a huge garden. My husband's an organic farming professor, so he has like an out of control amazing garden every year. Our family loves to travel. Another aspect of something I haven't even talked about in this talk today is that. Um, we spend part of our year in Peru most years, not this year of the pandemic, but most years where we kind of have a love affair with the Peruvian Andes. And we have a very special relationship with the people there um, and particularly with some indigenous communities there that we learn a lot from. And I show up there very much as a learner and someone to uh, someone who's going to learn and um, receive gifts from that community and from that land. So that's something else that makes me come alive. Um, I love being a mom. I'm a mom now of a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old, and that dharma has changed a lot from when they were very little. It's a lot more now of me giving them a lot of autonomy, and um, that's been an interesting process of learning how to do that differently. Um, but yeah, all of those things make me come alive in different ways, and they all sort of are part of the dharma of who Annie is. And I think that at some level, someone said to me once when I was talking about and trying to figure out my dharma, someone said to me, well, at a certain level, it won't be so much that you're trying to figure out what it is. It's more like 
the universe is pushing you in the direction that it wants you to go and grow in. And that, I think, when we finally are able to let go and let the universe that always has our back push us and move us in the directions where we can most be of service and grow and be creative, that really is, is a beautiful piece of dharma. And I'm glad I didn't forget to mention that as well. Yes, ma'am. I'm so glad you mentioned that because a lot of times we feel like we have to do something. You know, a lot of times we feel that if we don't, we're not going to reach our dharma. But as you mentioned, your garden, your children, your kitchen, traveling, that's a part of you. That's a part of your dharma too. Being out in the world and making a difference and experiencing the world, experiencing those indigenous cultures and and, and the beauty that, that the mountains have, the beauty that the outdoors have, it's, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. And thank you so much for being open to that. I'm going to ask you to be a little bit more open now <laughs> and um, maybe talk about some of your struggles. What are some things that uh, you find difficult? Yeah, it might not totally seem like it um, in where I am in my age and stage of life, but frankly, anxiety is something that has been a struggle for me for ever since I was a little girl um, and learning how to deal with an anxious and sensitive body and how to take care of it. I think that's really actually what pushed me into yoga because I didn't know how to handle my sensitivities and the fact that I, that there's so much that would make me bristle and feel uncomfortable about in the world when I was younger and when I was a teenager and when I moved into college, I, I didn't know how to handle this very sensitive body, sensitive and anxious body that I lived in. Um, and I feel grateful that I found yoga early on and that it was something that helped me get grounded in my body and learn how to soothe and settle my nervous system. And um, it's ongoing. It's not like it uh, that, oh, got that, check that box off. It's like, no, I, I still live in a in an anxious kind of a body. Anxiety is still a thing that I that I struggle with. I've learned a lot more tools. I have a lot of tools in my tool belt. Um, but I think that, and I think that's made me um, effective at being able to notice and help people who also have anxiety. So I would say that's one of the sort of bigger struggles that I've had as a um, as a human being. <laughs> I mean, I've had other. Um, challenges, you know, in my, in my family of origin, I, I lost my sister. Um, that was, it's been now 14 years, but that was a tremendous tragedy to our family and, um, learning how to, uh, navigate, navigate grief and be open to, um, the gifts that losing a loved one in an untimely way. I mean, she was too young really for the world to have taken her away, learning how to, uh, how to navigate that grief process and, and learning how to be open to the gifts that actually come when you do lose a loved one um, and what it teaches you about life and about death and that actually making you more alive. Um, that's been a tremendous, you know, both um, challenge and also um, gift that I think I've had. Uh, those are maybe two notable ones that I can think of that have been challenges for me. Wow, we really appreciate you being open with that and and so expressive with us today. Thank you so much for your for your presence and your wisdom. Um, what I want to ask you next is, do you have any questions for me? Well, yes, I am so curious about where you currently are right now, pursuing a PhD. And also, um, you, you and I know each other because we are both students and practitioners of Ayurveda in the same um, school. I'm so curious of where those intersect for you, because as you know, I also have, you know, background in education. And I'm just curious where, yeah, what you see your dharma is with these different, different pathways. So you've talked about my dharma. What about yours a little bit? Boy, Okay. Well, mine's kind of, um, it has a background, 
So I've pretty much been an educator most of my life as well, but it's been different. It's been, um, well, student slash educator, I should say, because all teachers are students before they're educators. But mine has been in the performance art field, and I've been doing that my whole adult life. I've, um, that's been my calling, my passion to help people bring about those inner desires and those inner passions through movement, those inner expressions of life. And that has been my mantra for my life. And of course, I've found yoga, I've found all those things early on, but never fully understood them as I do now today. And so um, I birthed my first uh, chapter of my dissertation yesterday at midnight, which was, uh, that's where I am. So I've done my first chapter, first draft, which is a huge accomplishment. I thought um, it was way ahead of me, and now I can maybe touch it a little bit. I've touched it a little bit, and, and it seems feasible and not so scary um, because doing that, taking on a, a terminal degree is, at least for me, was scary at first. Um, so, so that's pretty amazing. And the thing about education is I've, I've been an educator. I've, I have children. Um, I am their first educator. And they're, and they're, and the one, and I think that's important for, for me, you know, that's my passion is that the reason I'm in education is so I can be in my child's education, not just simply because I want to educate people. That is, you know, that's, that's going to happen. I'm going to do that. But the real motivation is so that I do not have to leave her education to a teacher to someone outside of my home that is going to um, maybe or may not have the same um, goals or beliefs or intentions that, um, that we do here in the house. My wife is um, of, of the same belief, and that's, that's beautiful and wonderful. And so, yeah, I guess that would be my, my passion is, is the teaching part of it. And, um, just being in that with my daughter and with my, well, my two daughters and my son, you know, um, my other daughter's out of college now, but she's still learning as she embarks on this world, um, getting her first job and everything out of college. So I think that would be uh, my dharma is to be that teacher as well as you. That's awesome. And I realized in my whole thing, I didn't even mention to you, although maybe I had before, that I also homeschooled my kids when they finally end up in middle school and high school, not so much, but I totally understand where you're coming from in terms of wanting to be that teacher for your students, for your, for your kids and giving them a very um, child-centered education. I totally, that totally resonates with me as well. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to go through real fast and um, kind of recap everything we've discussed. And if I've missed anything or you want to add to anything at the end, please let me know. But while I'm doing that, I'd like for you to maybe think about one thing, one nugget that if we walked away from this conversation, what would be the most important thing that we should learn? So think about that for a second. Today, our, our topic was Dharma. It was... Um, discussing and um, contemplating how we should live our life. What should we be doing with our life? Why should we be uh, moving in directions that we're moving? And how can we become um, proficient? How can we become secure and healthy and strong in the way that we are fulfilling our dharma? And the first description of dharma that you... Uh, posited was that we um it may be a little bit of our passion and it may be a little bit of our duty and maybe the discussion or the or the um, definition of dharma really kind of lies somewhere in between and when we're looking for dharma we're looking at it as a dynamic 
movement through our life and through the um, trials and tribulations that we experience, through the things that we are uh, being expected of and the tools that we have in our midst to be able to fulfill those needs. Um, one of the things that we didn't mention till towards the end, which I think is m- the most important, is that the universe or the the movement of life will move you into your dharma. Whether we choose to listen is our choice. And sometimes we mentioned earlier that some that is the root of all disease when we don't listen to our inner wisdom when we don't understand that um, we might need some quiet time, which is going to start in the morning and then in the evening, where you say we should take that time through our daily routine to help us age gracefully, help us work with our anxiety, work with our stress, work with our, our um all the things that are being, all the noise that's around us and all the movements of the world and to be able to slow down, to be able to take a few moments in the morning, become one, maybe center yourself, take some time to love yourself, to care for your senses. And then also in the day like that, which will in turn create healthier environments, inner environments, for us to be able to um, work and accomplish our dharma in more effective ways, for us to be able to actually fulfill our dharma that we may not even know what it is until the time we do. And when that happens, we are able to realize that we might have been fulfilling our dharma and we have a way now to perfect our dharma, which is, I think, a lot of us where we realize later in life that, yes, we have been doing our dharma, but now we know and we can perfect it even more. And I think that's beautiful. It's a very wonderful concept. Dharma is something that is, it's very profound, very deep. We discussed it in terms of yin and yang, in terms of having the um, building and the and the moving qualities of it. We've discussed it in the male and female side of it. Um, We've touched on it within our society today and the stages of life. And um, we've highlighted many important things. And I hope through the discussion of this Dharma talk, we have um, brought about some clarity for some people and maybe some confusion in that way that will stem and foster more conversations, more discussions, and more open and more beauty as we communicate through life. Is that a good summation? I love that. Wow. Yeah. You really wove in all of the themes of our conversation today. Yeah. That's wonderful. And I guess if I was going to say anything for people who are really looking to um, figure out what their dharma is, I think one of them would be to pause, pause, take the time to pause and to recognize that it's probably closer than you think. (laughs) That oftentimes I think we imagine, oh, there's going to be neon light going to light up and that's what it is. And it's like, might be a lot closer or smaller that really it's this idea that there's a place where each of us has to do our work. And that domain might be small, might be medium sized, might be big. But when we really recognize that there's a place where we can tend our metaphorical garden, so to speak, that's really the Dharma. And it doesn't have to be big. In fact, sometimes the smaller, the better, but it's the place where you actually truly meet yourself and you feel connected. You're able to offer something that's beneficial to other people. And at the same time, 
you're offering this beautiful flowering and growing of your own spirit and soul. And so it's really that, that, you know, it may be smaller than you think, it might be closer than you think. And I would trust, trust your inner senses, come back to that inner intelligence to help you find and say, oh yeah, this is the place, this is my domain. This is my domain to do my work in the world. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. That's so very, very true. That would be, I would say, the golden nugget, the thing that we should take away. Wouldn't you? Yes, absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Annie, the last question I have for you is how can we find you? What do you offer? And um, promote yourself a little bit. What are some things that you do? Thank you so much. Um, so I have a website. It is www.vibrantsoulful.com. And there you can find my offerings. I have a number of free offerings, um, tip sheets and uh, yoga practices and other sort of talks and things like that where you can find that I've given that you can check it out. And then also I work one-on-one -on -one with people. I work with groups. I work with workplaces. And if you're interested in Dharma, I have a class called Ignite Your Dharma. It's a multi-week course. I'll be starting it again in January, 2021. And it's a place where if this conversation appealed to you, where you can plan to really dig more deeply into these arenas of Dharma and uh, fine tune your daily schedule to support your Dharma so that you can really do what makes you come alive in the world. And anyone who's interested in that can contact me and you can send me a message if you want more information. Thanks for asking. Beautiful, thank you so much. So I wanna take this moment now to, again, thank you for being here, for taking your time, for sharing your wisdom, for being open, for reaching out to our listeners and touching them in the only way that you can. Have a blessed day. Bella Life, where health and wellness starts with you.